So the question is this, how do you become a healthy, lean and fit vegan always having fun and making it a sustainable lifestyle you enjoy living? If you want to know the secrets to losing fat effortlessly, building vegan muscle and positively impacting the people around you every single day, then this is the right podcast for you. I am Fritz Horstmann. This is the Vegan Fitness Podcast. So, listeners, welcome back to the Vegan Fitness Podcast with an amazing special guest, okay? Stein is in the house. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. I don't do podcasts often, but um, when you invite me to do a podcast, uh, I couldn't say no, of course. Yes, I appreciate that. that you take the time out of your busy day. I know you're working a lot, researching a lot, and um, I appreciate you committing to this podcast because I want to invite you because you are someone that is super yeah science-based and I only do science-based okay in the the vegan community but also in general in the fitness um, space there's a lot of like bro science out there and I want to like just teach the right things and still make it fun of course because we should always like aim for balance in my opinion which still should be fun but of course science-based in the end because that's what works and you are the guy for that okay so if you're listening right now to the podcast, then definitely check out this Instagram. What's the Instagram handle again? Uh, Stein von Willigen. So that's kind of different to, uh, to spell out, but maybe you can link it in the, yes. in the podcast itself or something. Yeah. yeah, I will link it in the show notes. So check him out. He has great infographics. But let's talk about the topic, okay? Let's talk about protein. This is sure. a protein episode 2.0 because I did one, I think, I don't know, half a year ago or something with uh, Anastasia. Uh, you probably know her as well. Yeah, that's what, that was my past ca uh, colleague. Uh, yeah. Yeah, indeed. I know her very well. Yes. And um, I think it's always great to get another opinion on topic. We also have different questions this time. But before we dive to that, I'm curious about you and also listeners. So tell us about yourself, like uh, where you're from, what your profession is, um, and just yeah, a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Um, so... Uh, I'm from uh, the Netherlands, Amsterdam, um, but really I do like the, the idea of traveling around more. Um, I've also been working in uh, Asia for a little while when my uh, girlfriend was over there just uh, for holidays and I was still working uh, like 30 hours per week, which is a lot less than what I do here. So uh, that's good, but I love my work. So that's all great. Um, so what got me into fitness is um, insecurity mostly. So um, I was about 15 years old and I actually started working out because I wanted to get a little bit more muscular. I thought this would solve all my problems. I would do better with the ladies. So I, I was actually working out in, in the, well, at night because I was kind of ashamed that my, my parents would find out. So I would be doing push-ups in my room. I would be even be drinking uh, like, like raw eggs and that kind of stuff. It was super hardcore. <laughs> Like Rocky style. Um, yeah, it's a long time ago. I, I cook my eggs differently now. But um, so that's, that's how I started. And um, I, have this, I have this thing, this, this ob obsessive personality that I do really want. If I'm doing something, I want to know that it's the right thing, right? I don't want to um, limit myself or do something for years knowing uh, afterwards that it w wasn't the right thing to do. So I took the, the training and nutrition part very seriously. I started doing a lot of research and that actually led to me uh, joining a bachelor's degree in human movement sciences when I was going to college. And I, yeah, I just love that. And uh, the physiology, the, the biomechanics. And um, actually there was, uh, I think John Berardi inspired me a lot during that time. Um, I think he's done some great work and yeah, he was really my my um, the one that I followed most so um, he inspired me to finish that uh, and then afterwards I was kind of I, I I had the the choice to either just join a company or start applying for a company or to do something in fitness um, uh, well wait wait I'm skipping a part because I did do a master's degree in entrepreneurship so that says something because I'm now doing my own startup but um, let's not digress and uh, get back to where I was. So I felt like I really wanted to pursue something in the fitness industry. So 
I actually put myself out there. I started blogging about recipes and food and um, slowly but surely, and I started writing articles, right? So mm-hmm. slowly but surely, um, I got into the scene more. And one of my articles, I sent it to Greg Knuckles and he, uh, he forwarded it to, um, um, wow, Brad Contreras. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, I think you know him. So um, he was super excited to do a collaboration on that article with me. And that's actually what got me, yeah, in the picture. And people started to contact me for online coaching. And uh, I started, I ended up working with Menno Henselmans, who's very evidence-based. So I learned a lot from him as well. Um, so that's uh, kind of my uh, long story. And awesome. now today I'm doing a startup in nutrition and i'm trying to our mission is to encourage people to eat less meat uh, for a better environment for less animal suffering and we want to do that through an app that is completely individualized to the person and the unique thing about it is that we have recipes that can scale so you can have one recipe it can be either 300 calories or 800 calories or 900 calories you can eat the same recipe it automatically scales with the algorithm and yeah, that's going very well. So that's what I'm mostly doing these days. And I'm um, researching um, plant-based eating a lot and how to make it work for the, for the common person. Nice. No, I like it. So basically you did a bachelor in kidney kinesiology, right? And then a master's in entrepreneurship. So that, that's cool. And um, I love that you like were in contact and got mentored by all of these well-known people Brad uh, Contreras, Menno um, Hensman, um, and so on. For people listening, like these are the science-based guys in the in the field when it comes to training and nutrition. So um, that's great, man. Thanks for the intro. Um, I'm just quickly curious. I wouldn't want to dive into it too much uh, because I think we could talk a whole episode about it. Um, but I also just want to like talk about it for a second because um, you are um, you said organic vegetarian, right? Um, so I'm curious why you chose that. And again, we are not like, I always say like, we are not a judging podcast, right? We are always, um, I'm like science-based vegan and I know for myself, like science, just scientific facts show that if you eat some animal like products, it's not unhealthy. Like you can still be healthy and it's, it's not bad to eat some animal products. Um, and you like as a science-based person, probably. Um, have you reasons for choosing your diet? Which is curious. Um, did you try veganism before, or why did you choose um, being vegetarian instead? Just like quickly, um, like I said, just for just interested about it. I didn't try veganism, so to say. Uh, I've slowly gone into eating less and less meat, and uh, I was doing a meditation retreat in in uh, Thailand last year and that's when i really got the insight of okay wow we can choose not to kill and live a healthy life in in most cases healthier um there's also science behind that of course but um and i have the 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 opportunity to do that so what is what is keeping me back and i think for for me and for a lot of people that have this uh fitness lifestyle it's the idea that you need to eat meat to get all the amino acids to make uh, optimal progress etc so that is the reason why i started eating less meat and, and started choosing for vegetarianism which still includes um, eggs and dairy products for me personally um, what i do uh, like to do or make sure is that when i am uh, the, the biggest thing for me is the animal suffering to be honest and I think if a cow or a chicken has really had a happy life, uh, that's, for me, I made the choice that I consume the milk or the, the eggs that they give. But for example, if I go to take coffee, I'll first check out the coffee place and see like whether it's like, um, whether they are selling the milk that I'm getting from the farmer as well, because there are some brands in Holland and of course, you cannot know 100%. And that's the interesting part, right? Like a lot of these companies also portray themselves as being super uh, friendly to the animals. Um, but you can never really know for sure unless you 
go out there and, and look inside their, their farms and stuff. Um, so I, I think, um, I think eating organic meat is a lot healthier than eating factory farm meats because there's a lot of antibiotics and that kind of stuff that go into that. If, if your listeners want to read a book on that, I really recommend uh, Eating Animals. It's a, it's a really great book. I forgot the author's name, but it describes what happens in these factory farms. And that's really what really, um, yeah, that's terror going on there. But to be honest, like what I also write about in my latest article to get an optimal amino acid profile, it can sometimes help to have some dairy and um, some egg products in there, but it's not needed. So it can help. And to be honest, maybe someday I will turn vegan and I will also shun these products. So I'm very open to that. I'm just right now in that phase that I'm, I'm doing this and um, very much against the animal suffering. So that's mostly my uh, reason. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like I said, I just wanted to touch on it for a second and I'm, I'm open to, to anything. And this is not like um, a podcast where only vegans get to speak. I, I think that's BS. Like then it doesn't make any sense. Um, so that's cool, man. So let's dive into the topic. So let's talk about protein. Okay. And I want to do more episodes on protein, of course, but I want to make this episode like one of the go-tos to just because I still see a lot of them and I figured out, I would just ask you, you're the expert in the field. You did a lot of research and I'm just asking the most burning questions that um, I have that I think are most valuable for the listener, but also some listener questions at the end. So let's start off with first um, like talking about like, what do you think, how important is protein when someone wants to build muscle? Because there's, I don't know if you know um, Stein, but there's a lot of, in the vegan community, a lot of like gurus or people saying like, oh, you just eat whole foods, like you get all the protein you need or mm-hmm. um, protein is not that important, only like focus on carbs and stuff. Right. Um, if you want to be healthy and be fit, like how, how important is protein if you want, someone wants to build muscle? Yeah. And I saw some of your posts um, that touch on that, that some people recommend just eating beans and it, sh- it, it will be fine. And it, you can just um, basically if it feels good and if it feels nourishing, then I should be fine in the muscle building department. And I saw that you made some posts on that, uh, that you can actually choose to eat smart um, and then ensure that you're actually getting something back for your training efforts. And what research shows is that if, if, you, if you have a complete amino acid fo- um, profile, so they did this, uh, they did this research in mostly omnivores, but what you see is at 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, um, it's like the cutoff point uh, of um, the amount of protein omnivores should be eating. So if they eat, for example, the, the, the theory or the model that comes out of all these studies is that if they eat 25% less, so for example, that's about like 30 or 40 grams protein in most cases that your your gains can actually be halted by as much as 30 40 50 percent theoretically so yeah i mean i i would rather if i'm taking that seriously and if i'm training like four or five six days per week for example i would i would rather be damn sure that i'm getting enough quality protein to to sustain that and i also think that looking at the research like if you're trying to build muscle, you kind of need more protein than if you're trying to cut and maintain muscle. And that's what I was seeing in the research and what I also discussed with Menno Henselmans, uh, despite what you may hear in, in the industry uh, about uh, that you actually need to increase your protein intake when you want to cut, which is even harder when you're like a vegan, right? Because um, the, 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 the calorie density of these protein-rich foods is often very high. So um, maybe we can talk about that later, but I think it's pretty important if you want to build muscle, especially. Yes, yes, absolutely. I always like to um, put it that way. Like you're going to the gym because you want to like build muscle and change your body. So you want to get the most rewards for your effort you put in, right? You want to get the most returns back from the time and the, the 
effort that you put into the exercise. So why not eat the optimum amount? Like, of course, you can build muscle with less protein. Why not eat more to get more back, like more return back? So that's, that's great that you also um, support that. And uh, yeah, just science shows that um, the studies show it over and over. So yeah, um, so you touched on it already, but how much protein do you need as a vegan? So you touched on that an omnivore needs around 1.6 grams per kilogram. That's like the, the cutoff point. Of course, this also depends on how lean the person is. So if the person has a lot of body fat, like is like weighs a lot, then you could end up at like 250 grams of protein, even though a person doesn't have that much muscle. So that's maybe another factor, but how much protein do you need as a vegan? Um, maybe one of the goal is to lose fat on one side, and maybe one of the goal is to like gain weight and gain muscle on the other side. Um, so what's what's the number, bro? Everyone wants to hear. <laughs> right, like um, there, when you're looking at it from a cutting perspective, there has not been any uh, reported uh, research, as far as I know, that shows anything above 1.2 grams uh, per kilogram of body weight is beneficial for um, when you're cutting and maintaining mass, um, as far as I know in the research. Um, of course, there's been some research by Eric Helms, maybe your uh, listeners know him, um, and there's a big debate between him and uh, Menno Hanselmans about how much is enough. But I think uh, from, from the research, you could say you need a little bit less. And I was talking about the 1.6 figure for omnivores before, which is quite well demonstrated that this is an optimal figure. Um, for, for vegans, it's, it's really, um, it's interesting actually. There, there's a lot of advancements going on right now in research. Um, there is one uh, research, and I'm actually talking to the researcher who's doing that study, that actually showed uh, two different groups. One was omnivore and one group was uh, vegan. And they both ate 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. And they were only training their quads, right? So only one muscle group. And uh, after 12 weeks, I think this study was, they gained the exact same amount of muscle. So despite all the stories about, oh, the, the digestion or the uh, amino acid profile uh, is, is worse for uh, plant-based foods. They gained the same amount of muscle on 1.6 grams per kilogram uh, uh, body weight. Um, but I have to say that I'm still doubting this because they only trained one muscle group, right? The quads and a little bit of the glutes. So in that sense, it's not like a full body workout. So maybe their overall uh, protein needs were just lower uh, in general because they only... Uh, um, and train one muscle group. So I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying to figure that out. But if you look at all the other research, I actually have this theory. I also talk about this in my, uh, my uh, article, a huge article that I just published. It's called How to Get Enough Protein as a Vegetarian, Flexitarian, or Vegan. And what I talk about is uh, there's some lacking amino acids. And if you don't get a lot, if you don't have a nice balance of protein, sources to balance these out uh, like vegan protein sources then it may mean that you need about 2.9 grams per kilogram of body weight to get the same effects that an omnivore would get from 1.6 so that's a lot that's that's a ton of protein that's a lot. <laughs> and then also it's the calorie density right so so damn that's going to be tough um and that's also why i wrote this article and why i'm developing a calculator right now and we're going to implement this maybe into my startup uh, mule app in future that it will all automatically may uh, happen uh, automatically. So you have these smart combinations that you can make when you're a vegan, for example, combining um, tofu with uh, seitan or um, like lentils with seitan so that you still um, get a, a nice balance of amino acids. And this may mean that you would only need about two to 2.4 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein um, if you make these smart combinations. So yeah, you have to, so there's some research showing that it doesn't matter at all that the research I just told about, but that's very novel and it still has to be published. But overall, my theory is that you need to eat a little bit more. So I would aim in general, if you make smart combinations, 
for about between two and 2.4 grams per kilogram of body weight. Okay. That's, that's a good, um, good number to aim for. Do I have, do I have a follow-up follow question for that? Um, does this number apply to overweight people as well? Because what I learned is that if someone is, has like a lot of fat on their body, like if you would take this, like just one number, like two grams per kilogram or like one pound per, like one gram per pound, then it would shoot a number up, even though the person doesn't have that much muscle to spare. So you would like feed the fat to put it super simply. Uh, do you agree with that statement or, and do numbers change if the body fat is like very high? What do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. So what we do in the, the calculations from our, um, from our uh, mule software, when, when a, a mill is above 20% body fat, then we actually take the lean body mass and uh, multiply it by about two to get the, the optimal amount of protein. Of course, it would be different for, for a vegan. Um, and for a female, it would be above uh, 30% body fat or so. Okay. So that's uh, what we do. Right on. And I'm also curious, since you mentioned that the amino acids do play a role, so it doesn't matter, like what I also thought always, or what like you see online sometimes, is that when you're vegan, like yes, you lack some amino acids that omnivores have um, in your meals, but if at the end of the day, your whole protein take, you eat a bit more, like, yeah, you eat... 2.4 instead of 2.0, for example, per gram, whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, then you are still set because you're just eating more protein. Then, of course, automatically you get more amino acids at the end of the day. But you're saying that it matters the amount of amino acids per meal. So you need to combine different foods. So right. um, would you agree with the statement overall or do you think yeah, you need to maximize every single meal to get the most gains? Right. Yeah, that's a big discussion, right? So is it do you need to all have all the amino acids in per day or is per meal also important so i would say if you're really serious about gaining muscle as a vegan then i would say looking at all the research out there that it's per meal and um Manuel Hansemans also agrees with me on this based on the research that we've seen um and what the research shows is that also, there's some, some animal research in there as well, but some human research too, is that there's, because some researchers from the past, they argue that there's some kind of pool of amino acids that stays in your blood. And basically, if you, for breakfast, you have a meal with a lot of the amino acid methionine, for example, like a heavy bean meal, then actually all the methionine in that will carry over to the other meals as well. So you would not need to worry in the other meals uh, about hitting enough methionine. But what the research, like I said, showed is that it doesn't carry over that much. And um, there is not really a pool that's, uh, that's actually uh, being drawn over to your lunch and to your dinner. So I would say if you're taking it really seriously for like for recreative persons or people that I sometimes uh, do personal training with, I wouldn't suggest this. But since a lot of vegans are taking it pretty seriously already, then maybe it's something to think about if you really want to get those extra uh, percents in. But I do, I do have to note that there is research emerging, like I said, um, from, from scientists that I'm also talking to that maybe will show in the future that it's actually not that important. But for now, I think if you really want to make sure, uh, it's better to, to optimize the amino acids per meal. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. So let's say the person right now listening is like, yes, I want to optimize. I want to get the last percent of the gains. I want to squeeze everything out. Yeah. Um, what could be like a guideline since I would say that most of our listeners, they don't want to sit down and calculate each meal. Okay. How much, uh, leucine is in here? How much, uh, methionine is in here? How much, um, Lysine and so on, like all these amino acids. So what could be like a guideline for the listener um, that wants to maximize the gains for each meal? Um, like what could they put in there and how much of it maybe, or what could be a guideline for that? Right. Good point. So um, basically anything that comes from beans 
or legumes um, is quite low in methionine. And then, um, so methionine is one amino acid that's often lacking, right? And this could be limiting muscle growth because it's just one of the protein building blocks that your body uses for, 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 for the muscle. And then there's also lysine and uh, lysine is often also lacking. So what we see is that, um, like I said, beans and, and legumes, that kind of uh, um, plant-based foods are lacking methionine, but actually rice and seitan and nutritional yeast, for example, so rice, seitan, nutritional yeast, those are actually quite high in methionine when you compare it to those other sources. So what I would say is, combine maybe uh, rice slash seitan slash nutritional yeast with um, tofu, tempeh, lentils, etc. So that could be something. So you have like a, 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 you have like a tofu or tempeh or lentil portion or, or a chickpea portion of your meal. And then you combine that with seitan nutritional yeast and uh, rice, and it could also be rice protein powder, or it could also be quinoa, uh, for example. Um, so this is like um, how you could do that. And actually, I want to refer your um, listeners also to my article because I have some really handy graphs in there that actually show an infographic of what's high in methionine, what's high in lysine, and then they can see that for themselves. Um, and also, I'm. Um, I'm working on a calculator to make it easier for people to just calculate what they would need um, if you really want to take it that seriously. But I guess that some people do want to do that. So that would be yeah. my, uh, my guideline for that. All right. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, okay, sounds good. Now, um, I want to touch on just quickly um, if protein is like, unhealthy right so there's a lot of people out there that may still believe or that think like let me just ask you Richard, do you think um stein that protein is bad for your kidneys do you think that protein um yeah increases chance of getting cancer um or like don't we just eat all too much protein like what's your thoughts on that how protein affects health i think uh, a lot of stuff is dangerous i think having chronically high stress is much more dangerous than eating too much protein. I think walking around uh, 365 days per year in a very smog, smog full or, or dusty or um, polluted city is very dangerous. Drinking too much water can kill you. I think it's mostly um, mass media trying to make news, trying to get attention. Um, when you look at the research, actually um, when you're healthy, you don't have any uh, any problems with your kidneys, for example, then what the research shows is that there's no actual, there's very little risk of developing anything from eating too much protein. If you do have pre-existing um, uh, issues with your kidneys, then it shows otherwise, but then you definitely should be worrying about a lot more uh, than just protein intake, I think, and you should consult with a professional. But for healthy people in general, from what I know, the research um, really shows that there's no problem in eating uh, very high protein diets. Cool. Yes, perfect. Because, of course, you want to optimize health as well. Now, I want to touch on um, digestion. Oh, by the way, so uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I just, so I'm, I'm for telling the truth. And what I've also seen in the research. If there is some research out there that shows that eating too much methionine can accelerate aging. And that's actually funny, you know, because naturally a lot of plant-based foods have low methionine. And the research shows that methionine may uh, enhance the aging process. So in that sense, you could actually say that a plant-based diet could intuitively be, be good for your health in that sense. So then we, we should have to go back to the whole thing of, do you even want to increase your methionine? Do you want to take supplements of methionine? Because that's also ways to get it in, you know, so to have like a meal. So that's a very uh, easy way to fix it. You have like a 
tofu meal and you just have one supplement of methionine that you take with it to optimize the amino acid count. And that's what I forgot to tell, but it could help a lot uh, to make it practical as well. But yeah, then, then again, you know, um, maybe, maybe it's even healthy in the long run to eat mostly plant-based. And that's also what we see in the research about cancer. Like over the board, research shows that people that eat more meat uh, are at a higher risk of developing cardiovascular disease and some forms of cancer. So I think, I think here in Amsterdam, it's getting more and more popular, the, the vegan, uh, veganism and uh, also uh, vegetarian eating. Um, so I think we're really onto something and it's developing, um, in more and more cities. I'm not sure about Berlin, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's really cool to be part of this, this growing conscious, uh, consciousness of, uh, that eating less meat is good for the planet and for ourselves too. Yes, it's definitely growing and, um, yeah, I'm happy to hear it. There's more research. Um, of course, there's more research coming. Like that's also the important part to understand that, yes, current studies like show um, what could happen, they show pattern, they maybe show the future, but there's still a lot of new research coming up um, and still a lot of things have to be researched um, for us to know exactly what's happening. It's always a process, of course. So I think um, that's why I love the vegan diet so much because we are probably already doing so many great things for our body that are not even discovered yet. Um, so we already, like, we don't take the chance. We don't take the risk. We just do it optimal from the get-go. Of course, mm -hmm. if you do it optimal, right, so you can still do a lot of things wrong on a vegan diet, but we already, like, put this into place. So maybe in the future, right, when new research comes out, we're like, oh, awesome, I got this benefit and I didn't even know it and because right. research didn't show it yet. So that's also... Uh, nice great thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool, so right all along, yeah. Let's talk about um, just quickly digestion. So um, yes. let's just put a super simple example. Maybe you saw this infographic before. Like there's like red meat on the left side, and there's like broccoli on the right side. And then it's like, okay, broccoli has more protein per calories. Like it's so much better. Um, I don't know if you if you know it, but how like is there a difference between how like a steak like the protein from a steak get up, gets absorbed versus the protein from broccoli um yes i do think so uh i do want to touch straight away that actually what research also shows it's, it's there's a different digestion rate per amino acid so for example um in lentils uh, the, the methionine digestion is quite low. Uh, and that's also a reason why I think I want to advise vegans that are really serious about building muscle to also look into certain combinations and to look uh, into protein powders as well. Because digestion-wise, protein powders are really good because it's, it's already processed. And what's actually uh, keeping like broccoli from being digested uh, very well and also a lot of plant-based foods is um, anti-nutrients so evolutionarily it also makes sense right so because in the old days basically plants wanted to protect their seeds their little um, i mean a seed is like a child you know it has all the nutrients inside to, to grow into a plant etc and we're basically eating a lot of these seeds um, uh, when you're a vegan um, but Actually, the, the, the plant wants to protect these seeds, or at least wants to make sure it doesn't get broken down in, inside the digestive system. So what you see is that the animals then eat these seeds, and then, <laughs> yeah, they, they fly somewhere if it's a bird, and then they take a shit. So it's great, uh, for, for, it's great material for growth. And then the seed is also still intact. Uh, protected by anti-nutrients so evolutionarily it makes a lot of sense that these types of seeds would actually prevail over the, the, the thousands of years and um, yeah so what research also shows is that the digestion for these uh, seeds and, and most uh, plant-based foods is a little bit less than that of meat but not, not extremely so um, research shows that it's um, that it's about, uh, let's see, let, let's, yeah, so there's a very exact figure. Uh, in general, we could say 
indicated protein digestion is about 23% better on a meat-based diet compared to a plant-based diet. And this really depends on how processed the plant uh, protein is. So I know processed is like this super like negative uh, word that people think, oh shit, it's processed, I will die. Um, <laughs> but it's actually, in some cases for digestion, it's good you know, to have these, this uh, modern manufacturing because it does ensure that a lot more of the protein gets digested. For example, like protein powders, I really recommend to, to get like a mix of like, uh, for example, rice and a pea protein mix. It's really good for amino acids. And it's really good because, um, because the digestion is so, so good um, because it's highly processed. So a lot of the anti-nutrients have been taken out. So um, in general, I would say that um, you, when you're when, when we're going back to the to the to the example of the broccoli and the beef, then I do think a little bit less of the protein in the in the broccoli is getting digested, and the amino acid profile is not that, as optimal. And you do have to correct for that and eat a little bit more in general. Um, but if you eat a lot of protein powders to get your protein in, then that's often less so the case. And that's also my main recommendation to vegans who are trying to make this work. It's great technology, make use of it. Uh, I find a lot of them getting better and better in taste as well. So, um, yeah. Yes, I love that. I am on board, okay? I'm, that's also my biggest like, tip I give, like just drink a shake for breakfast. Like you don't need to um, put like beans in your oats or like drink tofu smoothies in the morning. <laughs> you can just add some protein powder to your meal, God damn it. Um, so you would agree that like, okay, that's a whole different podcast, but like process versus whole food, of course, like your diet should be based on whole foods, right. but you, would you say that like drinking protein shakes, like processed, um, like protein powder or like processed foods, if it serves you, like it's fine. Like it's not inherently bad to consume processed foods. Would you agree that on that? Or what's your take? Yeah, it's, it's also like with vitamin B12, like what the research also shows is that if you're really eating a vegan diet, I'm not sure. Are, are you taking like vitamin B12, for example? Yeah, of course. All right. So that's also just like a supplement. It's making use of the food technology we have today. And you can actually make the choice to be vegan these days. And, and uh, it's getting much better in cities like Amsterdam and Berlin. So in that sense, you could also view uh, a protein shake as a little supplement. Um, that is just going to help you reach your muscle gaining goals uh, if you're eating a plant-based diet. So I think it's completely fine. And there's even some great uh, recipes that you can look up, like some, some protein souffles, or I make uh, protein pancakes from Anastasia, actually. I just want to really give a shout out to her because she has, uh, it's called Science Bakes, her, uh, her um, protein pancakes are made with, um, with plant-based uh, protein. And they're amazing. So uh, that's what I eat a lot actually to, to, get my, uh, to get my protein in as well. And it's a great way for, for vegans to get their protein in as well, just a vegan uh, protein pancakes, yeah. Nice, yes, I think I saw that. It's like the mi mixture that has the optimum amount of amino acids even, right? And you can just use for, for pancakes and waffles. So that, that's awesome. Um, all right, so let's just touch on BCAAs and EAAs for a second. So. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, okay. again, like all the questions that we are handling right now, we could make like one episode about it. Okay. Um, but if the listener doesn't know what BCAs are, it's branched chain amino acids, right? So um, just a supplement again, that people tend to use or like some like gurus or blogs or like, it's just a lot of confusion around the topic. Okay. Should I drink BCAs like pre-workout or preserve my muscle to reduce fatigue um, and maybe also interesting for vegans since they lack some amino acids and also uh, leucine it's not leucine there's a different one. leucine also like a big topic because leucine is of course uh, triggers muscle protein synthesis um, and people could think okay if I then take it like isolated with two other amino acids like in the BCAs um, then I get get more gains because I just trigger muscle photosynthesis more. Do you believe that BCAAs work or that they are needed for vegans on one side? And then what do you on the other side think of EAAs, which are 
um, all the essential amino acids in one supplement, um, not just three like in the BCAs. Do you think one of the two is better? Do you think you need any of these or do, do you think they work? Or what, what's the science there? Yeah, first of all, um, the vegan protein powders are actually very high in leucine. When you look at the amount of leucine they contain per calorie, um, even like soy protein powder, it has more leucine per calorie than whey protein powder from uh, the data that I, that I use. Um, so it's actually not that bad uh, from a leucine perspective. Um, I think that BCAAs are mostly... Uh, I think um, I think they're marketed as having a lot of benefits, and I think that uh, supplement companies earn a lot of money over these supplements. But I think that they could actually stand in the way of uh, muscle building sometimes if you take them in isolation, because there is some research out there that shows that if you take them in isolation, it's like tr taking only three of the twenty amino acids. Right? It's valine leucine and isoleucine. Those are the three BCA, uh, BCAAs. And it's like building a house with three different types of bricks instead of 20. <laughs> it's like, good luck. You have all these bricks, but you also need like the nails and all the other stuff, right? And um, even if you take a lot of them, there's still this limiting factor from all the other amino acids missing to get incorporated into the muscle. So that's the analogy that I like to use is that um, if you're taking them in isolation, research shows that it can actually uh, decrease muscle protein synthesis. And uh, that's why I do, if you take them along with a meal, then, then it's, it's, it's fine. Most research shows that it doesn't have many additional benefits actually. So basically you're just drinking very, very uh, expensive uh, uh, a very expensive protein shake. Um, when it goes, when you talk about uh, essential amino acids, then I think they can actually, uh, I'm neutral against them because research shows that uh, they compare like having a whey protein shake with having a, an a essential amino acid shake. And basically it does exactly the same thing um, with your uh, blood counts of amino acids. And what's the nice part about EAAs is that it does contain all these uh, uh, amino acids, these protein building bars, right? Instead of just having three. So all of the uh, building material for the, for the muscle is actually present. So it does cost more to drink like um, 20 grams of EAAs than drinking 20 grams of whey protein shake or like a, a vegan protein shake. Um, but sometimes it's tastier. Like I really like, uh, some, some of the friends out there. And I had a phase that I really liked the placebo effect or the energy they gave me. I, I thought that they tasted great. It's great for having, uh, during a workout, especially when you're, uh, when you have fasted before this workout, for example, when you're doing intermittent fasting, you're going to go work out, uh, at lunchtime. Then, then it's great to, to drink some essential amino acids. But I think you, your listeners should really pay attention to where these things get manufactured because a lot of the times um, they actually get the essential amino acids from some animal sources or animal sources are involved in a manufacturing process. So really watch for that and also do some extra research because, um, uh, I mean, supplement companies can state it on the, on the label, but... I really advise you to make sure. So, um, yeah, that's my stand. So in short, BCAAs, I don't stand for them. I don't see any real purpose. EAA is great for when you're training fasted or just really like the taste or want to have some extra energy um, because often I feel like it gives you this kind of, uh, with some brands, it gives you a nice uh, energy pump. So. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, that sounds sounds very. Now it's cleared up. Um, the BCAs are not needed, and EAAs are a nice nice to have. Um, but you can also just drink a shake, right, to get all the aminos. Um, it's 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 pretty much the same. But if you want to have like lower calories, right, the shake has a bit more calories than EAA shake. That's right. maybe another thing to consider. Right. Um, but awesome. So let's dive into some follow up questions. 
um, that I got um, asking on Instagram. People are curious about protein. Um, and one of the questions was about um, what you just like touched on. So protein um, around your workout, like, is it important? Do you need protein before or post-workout? Like the, the question itself asked, protein rather pre or post-workout so what's your take on protein around workout do you need before and after do you only need before do you only need after what's your what's your take on that yeah so what i think your listeners should really be thinking about is it's not about whether you eat before or after or in between or on top it's about the amino acids are they present in your blood when your muscle is trying to recuperate. And what we see is that between two to six hours after a workout, muscle protein synthesis peaks. So that's the time when you actually want to eat more protein or what you want, sorry, that's actually the time you want to have more amino acids, protein building blocks in your blood. So if you, for example, had a, dinner, had a, had a meal six hours before your workout and it's still digesting and releasing these amino acids, then it's optimal. And what you see is that uh, after a workout, your, the, the amount of amino acids that you can productively use to build muscle is actually higher than uh, in rest, basically. So the ceiling of the usage, the usage of amino acids goes up. Um, so in that sense, what I like to do is I, for example, like to have a big meal half an hour before I, I go do a workout because, um, or, or maybe an hour before, so it gets the time to be digested. And sometimes even one or two hours after the meal, if it contains a lot of fat or is a big mixture of fat, the, the uptake of amino acids peaks right around when you're working out. So in that sense, you, you should be thinking about, okay, how quickly is this protein source going to get absorbed? Because I do think that, for example, Eating protein before bed for vegans, basically in all cases, omnivores try to have slow digesting protein before bed because basically you're going like eight to 10 hours without, without food. So you actually want to have a protein that gets broken down slowly. So the amino acid stream in your blood stays elevated during the night, right? Um, so there is not a ton of research on, because you have casein protein powder for, uh, for omnivores or vegetarians, but there's not a, a lot of research on plant-based protein powders and how slowly they get released into your bloodstream. I was actually talking to Jorn Tromlen about this. Jorn Tromlen is one of the uh, most knowledgeable researchers when it comes to pre-bad uh, protein. And he told me that he was working on some research in that. So he may have some more info on that. Um, but coming back to your question, I think it's more important to think about, okay, I am eating this meal now. Is it still digesting when I'm working out? If so, that's great. So either you could have like a, a little uh, pre-workout uh, shake or meal and then have a bigger meal afterwards or have a, a meal before you're working out. But I would not advise to work out fasted and then have a big meal afterwards because you're, depending on how long you're training, you're already spending this hour or so um, in, a, in a catabolic state if, you're, if you don't have any amino acids in your system. So um, either before uh, have something big or something small um, or have something small before and uh, something mm -hmm. after. All right, yeah, I like that. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And so you're saying you don't need to run to the, uh, to the wardrobe to get your shake in within 30 minutes. <laughs> Am I right? No, definitely not. <laughs> no, especially when you had, had a big meal beforehand, it's like nonsense to, to run to that uh, locker. Really enjoy that walk <laughs> to the locker and, and yeah. touch the back to working out again. Sure. Enjoy the walk of glory, okay? Walk right. of glory as you work out where you feel pumped. Okay, you need to flex in the mirror for half an hour at least <laughs> after workout. <laughs> That's what you need to do, not the shake. Um, okay, great. So then I'm curious about um, like how much protein can be absorbed maximum per meal. So um, also maybe listeners are confused. There's some like studies or like articles out there saying, okay, you can only absorb 30 grams per meal. Like if you eat 50 grams instead, 
the 20 grams we waste yo it won't get absorbed because you can't absorb more so what's your take on that what's the maximum amount of protein that you can absorb per meal is there like a maximum amount or doesn't really matter what's what's your take on that well the first thing i want to say is that it's very handy for supplement companies to have this uh, knowledge spread uh, to the normal people right because when you can only maximally uh, take up 20 grams of protein per meal and you want to eat for example 160 grams per day then you have to eat eight meals high in protein to get your protein in right so who's going to sit down eight times per day to have their meal? Probably not a lot of people. So what, what can they do? They can drink protein shakes in between their meals to make sure that they get all the protein in, in a way that everything gets absorbed. So that means more sales. So that means that the supplement companies earning more money. Um, so it's, it's a great story to tell people uh, from a supplement company perspective. And what the research shows is, and what I think uh, is better, is rather than focusing on a maximum amount of protein per meal, because you can eat 60 grams of protein and you will digest it all and it will get released into your system, that we know for sure. Even from an evolutionary uh, standpoint, it doesn't make sense to only take up 20 grams of protein. I mean, you're starving for, for, for like five days scattering around looking for a freaking mammoth finally you find one kill it you eat like crazy and then you cannot find another one for a week is your body going to think oh so i just ate <laughs> 200 no maybe 1000 grams of protein let's only digest or, or use 20 grams of it and piss out the rest it doesn't really make a lot of sense of course this is not a good way to reason but it just supports again that there's probably uh, not a strict 20 or 30 gram amount uh, that you can maximally absorb. Rather, I would like to ask your listeners to focus on the amount of meals that you eat per day. So what research has shown is that if you want to distribute the uh, protein that you're eating over the day, then between three and five meals is optimal. If you're only having one meal, then you're kind of missing out. This is also logical from the perspective that we took earlier because um, you actually want to have a constant stream of amino acids in your blood. This is also why it's important to eat before bed because you're going 10 uh, hours without any eating. Um, and this makes sense because uh, when you're looking at it from distributing uh, your, your, your meals over the day. So between three and five would be optimal. And other than that, I wouldn't really look at a certain figure um, yeah, love it. That's great. Yeah, maybe for a listener that that is confused, like how much protein should I aim for per meal? Just take like the numbers we shared before, like how much protein you need in general per day, and then divide that by three or four or five, depending on your schedule, right? So this, of course, is important. Like maybe four meals per day would be like super optimal, but if your schedule doesn't allow it then go for three that's cool as well or if you like super want to optimize it maybe five times but just get your protein number for the day then divide it by three to five and then you have how much protein per meal could be nice i mean of course you can have five grams less there there and five grams more there but in general it should be an hundred number so that's right. nice right cool. and if you want to optimize then really look for around your workout and before bed you can have a little bit more there okay so. yeah perfect Cool, man. Um, then last, last follow-up question, last uh, listener question, and also last question in general. Um, are there any plant proteins that are as efficient as meat or fish? So, yeah, maybe what's your favorite? What's the best plant protein source that listener can use on a daily basis? Right. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure on, on what you mean by efficiency here, but I'm taking it as the, the highest quality as in digestion wise and also amino acid composition wise then i think one that's very overlooked is saitan you can do a lot of great stuff with this and um if you can actually stop because it's, it's a gluten protein so people that are very intolerant to gluten don't have this option but saitan is really great uh, it has uh, quite a lot of methionine as well it's very low calorie for the amount of protein that's in there so it 
So in that sense, it's also really good. And actually nutritional yeast actually has a very similar amino acid profile as dairy. So like pork or cottage cheese, but just a little bit less in all of the amino acids basically. So it's a very, it, it comes pretty close to that. So that's a nice one that, that you can make use of as well. And um, actually when we talk about the amount of protein that you get on a calorie basis, then soy protein powders, really good. Um, we're actually going to talk maybe more about this some other time, but uh, like soy's effects on hormones has not been established. So I wouldn't worry about that. If you really want to have a good um, amino acid uh, distribution, then having a blend of rice or hemp uh, protein with uh, pea protein is really good. And I think that's about as efficient as you can get. So I think if you, ha if you have a blend of rice and pea protein in a powder, then that's actually superior to, for example, uh, uh, could be superior to beef, could be about equal as, as whey protein. Um, so I think those types of protein sources are the, the most efficient you can take. I, I would not say um, lentils or tofu or tempeh by themselves, to be very honest. Um, so, but of course, these are great sources. And especially if the, you combine them, you can guarantee that you get enough of all the amino acids. Um, but I think cytan nutritional yeast and some kind of protein powder blends are great. Nice. I love it. <laughs> the seitan, when you said that, I just uh, was like, yes, that's, that's an amazing answer because I'm obsessed with it. Like, I love it. Um, I'm fortunate to not be gluten intolerant. So it has like a nice macro profile, like low calorie, high protein, low fat, low carb. Um, it's tasty if you get the right brand. You can make it yourself even with a, with a good recipe. Or you can even use the gluten powder itself and make stuff out of that. So like gluten like based protein pancakes or like gluten based um, falafels, uh, high protein falafels. So um, that's that's great news. And nutritional yeast, of course, um, an all time favorite, crowd favorite of vegans, right? <laughs> Gets uh, put on top on everything. So put yeah. even more nutrition yeast and everything but yeah that's that's nice that's awesome and to hear also, uh, what i forgot to mention i'm sorry to, to interrupt you but actually they're getting better at engineering really uh high quality uh meat replacements so actually some restaurants in amsterdam is really huge in amsterdam like the amount of meat replacements in the past two and a half years it increased uh, uh 51% in sales and you can see it in amsterdam there's so much more you can choose from it Beyond Meat, for example, has these great burgers. And I think some of these meats are getting this blend of rice protein and pea protein, et cetera. So definitely look on the back of these packages as well, because that's also a great way to, to look for that efficiency you're looking for in a great amino acid profile. Yes, I'm a big fan of fake meat. I'm a big fan of fake meats. Um, and a lot of people still demonize them in the vegan community, but I think they're a great addition to the diet. Um, as long as, of course, your fats, like it's not too much sunflower oil in there, like you can balance it out with omega-3s, but it's also another topic. So um, yeah, that's, that's it, man. I love uh, your inputs, uh, loved your, your answers, and um, I hope, like I know that it was super valuable for a listener. So like you said uh, a second ago, we have a different episode about soy, um, in a few, like next week or the week after, like on here and in the podcast we're dropping different time, but, um, we will do another episode about soy. So is it healthy? Is it dangerous? Like how much soy per day is safe? Uh, what about hormones and so on? We'll talk about that as well soon. So I'm super excited about that. But for now, thanks so much for this episode. Thank you so much for joining. Like I said, I will link the Instagram below. I will, I will also link your blog article below in the description. Um, and yeah, anything you want to share? Yeah, like, thank you so much for having me. It's like a pleasure for me to, to talk about these things and to, to help the, the vegan community with this. And uh, who knows, maybe uh, someday I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm ditching the eggs and the dairy. I'm, I'm getting closer to that point, I think, but uh, it was great. Thanks for having me. Yes, all good. No pressure there. You would just get a bunch of DMs on Instagram, okay? Be like, yo, go vegan now. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, Love your input. Thanks so much for taking the time to make this interview. 
And for listening right now, if you enjoyed this, let me know. Uh, give this podcast a rating and write a quick review if you enjoyed it so we can grow this podcast to the next level and like, get the right information out there that tr transforms you as vegan. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining, Stein. And yeah, talk soon. All right, talk soon. Yes, yes. What did you think? What an amazing episode again. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please do me a favor and subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes. It's very much appreciated. We'll hear each other in the next episode. Until then, keep up the vegan vibes.